Hello and welcome to Grace Life Stellenbosch. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Yeah, I wanted to just uh, start our new series and kick it off. And we're really wanting uh, to look at Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, and the, the Word says many things, obviously. But one of the things the Word says is that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's from the book of Hebrews. Um, which is an interesting statement. And then he speaks about don't talk about strange doctrines. Or don't engage with strange doctrines. The next verse. So strange doctrine is really anything that is not about Christ. Okay, um, And maybe... If you, uh, I don't know what your background is, everyone, I know where I come from and I know where I've been. And I know there was a stage in my life where I really sort of just hammered down on what we call the New Testament. And um, it was just sort of when I got into grace and forgiveness and all of those nice things. And um, so I camped on this side of the Bible and I even said to people, like, if this side of your Bible is worn out, then you're going to be successful because you don't really need this part. Now, I repent publicly. Because all of this is rooted in this, okay? All of this that Paul writes, that Peter writes, that, um, that, that Jesus speaks even, is rooted in the Old Testament. It's actually rooted in the first five books. Because when Jesus speaks in Luke 24, he says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded or unfolded or explained or translated to the people the things concerning himself. Okay, so that's really important. If we want to minister like Jesus, we can minister from the Old Testament. But we should minister about Jesus. We should have one message. So there's one message, one purpose, one mission. And it's all about Christ. Amen. If you don't believe me yet, in John 5, Jesus says to the Pharisees, He says, you search the Scriptures. Which in that case, in that context, speaks of the Old Testament. Because Matthew is not yet written. John is not yet written. Luke is not yet written. Act hasn't yet happened. Uh, the book of Acts has not yet uh, lived out. So um, He says, you search the Scriptures because you think in them there's eternal life. But they are the very things or the very writings that speak about me. Okay, so I'm just giving you some introductory context here before I show you some awesome things uh, that hopefully is going to stir you up and cut you to the heart. So Matthew 13, 34 says, Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowd. So you know that Jesus spoke in parables. What is the purpose of a parable? Well, it's to keep something revealed. Or it's to reveal to some and, 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 and to, to veil to others. So who gets the revelation? Those who ask. Every time the disciples said, Lord, what did you mean? He explained to them. But he goes on and he says, in fact, he never spoke to them without using a parable. Now if you read through Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, Galatians, there's never a parable in any of those teachings. Even the book of Acts, there's quotations from the Old Testament. Um, the first sermon actually is a quotation from the history of of Israel, and then he leads them all the way to Christ, and then he says, you killed him, God raised him from the dead, starting at Abraham, going through Moses, and all of the stories, and we'll look at those sermons in the book of Acts, because you know what, they were effective sermons, they got people saved, in Acts 2, Acts 13 for 1, so this fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet, I will speak to you in parables, I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world, so when was these things hidden? Since the creation of the world. Since Genesis. Okay? What is he speaking about? You need to go to John 5. And he says he spoke about things concerning himself. So what was hidden since the creation of the earth. Is the things concerning Jesus. 
Okay? The things concerning the coming Messiah. The things concerning the plan of God. If you don't believe me yet, Psalm 78 verse 1 says, O my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying. For I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. It speaks of dark sayings of all. Dark sayings is not evil sayings. Dark sayings is hidden sayings. It's mysterious. It's parables. Saying that you need to shine the light on what I'm saying to see what I'm actually meaning. You know, there's a story and then there's the mo- a moral of, to the story. Or the moral of the story. That's really what Jesus is speaking about. So John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we're so hasty that we just read past that because we want to get through the book of John. I mean, that's an exciting uh, endeavor to get through the book of John. If you can do it in one sitting, well done. Um, that's how you're supposed to do it. But it says when? In the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God, but the Word was also God. And I think often we have this understanding, uh, incorrectly so, that there is God, and then, then there is God speaking, that is His Word. And then we have Logos and Rhema. And then we can go into multiple uh, avenues around what is a Logos word and what's a Rhema word. And that's not the point that I want to make this morning. What I want to make this morning is that in the beginning was the Word of God. In the beginning was God. Anyone with me? Who was first? Who is the first? And I'll give you the end of the message. Who's the last? <laughs> so it's Jesus. I mean, it's God. So what we have then, we need to read on. And we read to verse uh, 14. From John 1, the same chapter, he says, And the Word became flesh. So, who's the Word? Okay, who's the Word? According to John 1, who's the Word? God. Okay? So, I'm going to just be a bit aspirous uh, this morning to help you. So, it is Jesus, yes, but it is God. Because it says from John 1, the writer has a context and he gives you the glossary. You know, if you read a... a, 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 a report or a proposal they give you the glossary and then they say when i use this word this is what i mean so john tells us when i use the word word i mean god okay then he goes on and he now tells the story and he says then the word i mean god became flesh and that is what we call jesus okay the word became there is an interesting word one of the ways that you can actually translate it is that he took on flesh. So he didn't become something that wasn't, but he, he took on flesh. He became as we were. Okay? Or he became one of us. He became like one of us. And the tabernacle, I like the Young's literal here. It says, and he did tabernacle. What is tabernacle? It's camp. Okay? Tabernacle is a tent. So God camped in a body. It's pretty cool, isn't it? You are camping in your body, currently. Who's camping with you? God is camping with you. So God is tabernacling with you, just as He tabernacled in the flesh as Jesus. Okay? I know it's a big start, but let's go. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when was the Word? In the beginning. John then tells us that what was in the beginning took on flesh. Anyone with me? I know the booker played late last night, and, but you came. And we fetched the generator just for you. So we could make coffee just to get you awake. Because this is the important part of why we are here. Amen? So, Hebrews 10 verse 5 says, 
Wherefore, coming into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you do not will or you do not want. That should be news to someone here this morning. God doesn't want your sacrifice, neither your offering. Amen? He says, a body you did prepare for me. In burnt offerings and concerning sin offerings, you do not delight. Then he said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book that has been written concerning me to do your will of God. What is the volume of the book that has been written of me? It's the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. So he says, in the Old Testament, in the volume of the book, what the volume means, all of it. In all of the Old Testament, it was written about me. And now I'm coming to manifest what was written about me. I'm coming to live out what was prophesied. And where was it prophesied? It was prophesied in the Old Testament, as we call it. So, the writer of Hebrews quotes then, actually from Psalm 40. And this is really how you should do your Bible study. So I want to equip you as well to do your own Bible study. And to do that, you need to do what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. You need to rightly divide the word of truth. And to rightly divide the word of truth is not just old and new. So, we have the writings of Moses, which is your first division. So, he wrote five books. Okay, the first five books. So, we have Moses. Then we have law. We have prophets. We have Psalms. We have um, wisdom books. We have major prophets, minor prophets, all of that. Let's not go into that level today. Okay. So, we have the foundation which is Moses. Not per person, but his writings. Okay? Because Moses is writing, and now you must think of why is Moses writing? That's a good question. So if you don't know your Bible, Moses wrote the first five books of your Bible. Okay? That is who? Like Simon Sinek says, you must ask why. Okay? Why did he write that? Okay? He wrote that because he was actually getting the children of Israel excited about the coming Messiah. That was his purpose for writing it. If you don't believe me, go read Hebrews 11, and you can do it for homework, because you would say, but how did Moses know about Jesus, or did he? Yes. He left Egypt, and the riches of Egypt, the joys, the pleasures, the fleisporte van Egypte, because he knew that there was more. He knew that his life, even in the Old Testament, was about Christ. Hebrews 11 confirms that for us, and Jesus confirms it in John 5, when he says, Moses wrote about me. So Moses didn't write about the creation. Moses wrote about creation, but in the story of creation, it's a dark saying. And in the story of creation, we can find Christ. We can find the purpose of existence. So he doesn't just tell us um, how we came to be, but why. So he quotes from uh, Psalm 40, and I'm going to read from verse 6. It says, you take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Oh, so the Old Testament is not that bad altogether, is it? Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. So what we used to do, what I used to do, let me talk for myself, is I would read Hebrews 10 and I'm like, I like this God. I like the friendly God, the one who doesn't want sacrifice and offerings. The one who's not up to um, just like, like angry and you need to pay and you need to do this and you need to do that. But what the writer of Hebrews actually is doing is quoting from Psalms 40. And what I like what he says here is, finally when I listened, I understood. Not what to do, but who you are. Why do the Israelites have a sacrificial system? This is news for someone. Because they wanted one. The same reason why they had a king. Why did Israel have a king? 
because they wanted one. God said, don't take a king. Don't be like the nations next year. They said, we want a king. He says, hey, he's going to send your sons to war. We want a king. Hey, he's going to make you pay taxes. We want a king. And we want the biggest, strongest, most handsome king. And he gave them Saul. And what a flop that was. So what God does is he says he repents of putting Saul into kingdom or kingship. So he picks a king according to his heart. But it's still for the needs or the wants of people. If you don't believe me, go read your Old Testament. You see, that's why this is important, because we need to know the purpose of God. Moses says, go to the mountain. God wants to speak to you. He says, no, 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 no. you go. We'll do everything God says. No, they won't, because God said, come to the mountain. And that's the first thing they don't do. <laughs> ever, realize, ever thought of that? Like, that just... You know, who was Moses' uh, uh, influence? When he left Egypt because he murdered someone, it was his father-in-law, who was a priest to a heathen god, who sacrificed probably firstborn. So he was influenced by that. Now, we have this uh, leadership teaching, where Moses' father-in-law tells him, like, you cannot continue like this, and he says, get camps of 50, and camps of 100, and put leaders in place, and that's human wisdom. We never see Moses going to God and praying about it. Okay, just like we never see Moses uh, going to God and praying about the sacrificial system. But that's something, maybe a step too far for this morning. We're looking at the beginning. We're looking at the Word that was in the beginning, and that Word is God, and that God became or took on flesh. So we're going to Ecclesiastes, verse one, uh, Ecclesiastes 1, verse 9. It says, the thing that has been. What has been? Well, it has been from the beginning. It is that which shall be. I'm helping you to, to find some diamonds, some jewels in your Bible. Amen? The thing that has been is that which shall be. So there's nothing new under the sun. Same what the writer of Hebrews says. Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. That which was is that what will be. That which has been is what will be. Nothing new. Nothing new under the sun. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. So there's no new... God. There's no new plan. Jesus is not plan B. Jesus is not your insurance. Jesus is the plan. Because the writer of Galatians says that what was promised is not going to be undone, but what was done 400 years later. So God made a promise to Abraham. Then Moses and his fellows come and they want a sacrificial system based on their performance. And God gives it to them. But then Galatians writes Paul to the Galatians and he says, Listen, what Abraham did is what God does. That is who God is. That was the promise. What Moses and the fellows did with the law, like, that's not going to undo God's promise. Because there's nothing new. What is, has been is what will be. The word which was in the beginning is the word which will be in the end. What I'm doing here this morning is hopefully condensing your Bible. So it's not so intimidating for you. So did you actually go and read it? Because it's good news. Amen? Let's go to another one. I shared this one recently. Let's just stay there quickly. There's nothing new under the sun. When is the sun? Genesis 1. So there's nothing new under the sun. You see, you need to just have the perspective of the purpose of the Bible. Otherwise, you're going to make this something that it's not. We cannot intend... In Scripture, what the writer of that Scripture did not intend. 
It's a word for someone. I was reading uh, Jeremiah 29 this morning. You know, that's on your... Let's not ask who's uh, got a fridge magnet with Jeremiah 29.11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Not to hurt you or to harm you. To give you a future, a hope, and an expected end. Amen? Praise God. Hallelujah. Come on, brother. Hey, you haven't been to the States yet. That's how, they do, that's, how, that's how they do it. Sean would know. You know what is happening there? Jeremiah is telling the Israelites that you're going to be in Babylon for seven years. And then there's false prophets who says, no, 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 God doesn't want that for you. God only wants good for you. God is going to bring you out right now. And Jeremiah is saying, no, man, you're going to be here for a long time. So plant, build, have children, do family, do life. Don't let a political system that is over you withhold you from being fruitful in what is important. Because even though it's not good right now, God has a future and a hope. God knows what He's planning for you, not to hurt you or to harm you, to give you a future and expected end. Which is actually then a word directly to the Israelites in captivity under Babylon. So He didn't write that for you. Sorry to be the bearer of uh, truth this morning. But what happens when we read the Old Testament is we read what is said to whom it's said and by whom, under what condition... But there is more to what was said. So it's not just bad news this morning. Okay. In that, he is actually prophesying about Christ to come. I know the plans I have for you, so don't worry about spending seven years in captivity in Babylon. No, I have the Savior on the way. I have a future and a hope. And even in his death, there's going to be an expectation, a birth. What is a, a, a lady who is who's carrying a baby is? Expecting. So when you have an expected end, what does that mean? That's a prophecy of the resurrection of Christ. Because he says, at your end, there's going to be an expectancy. There's going to be a a birth. So at your end, when you lay down your life, now there's resurrection. Okay, so there's nothing about your bank account... I must be careful, there's visitors here. You know what? Your bank account can go up and down. Say God told you that you're going to be a billionaire. Okay? No one says, yes, Lord, hallelujah. Maybe He did not tell you in Zim dollars. Because it's really not important how much money you have. It's more important what you do with the money that you do have. Because God is after your heart, not after your money. Amen? So why do we give money? Because money is really the steering wheel of the heart. Because where the heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. I mean, God doesn't need your money. We do. Okay? Because God doesn't have money. So God cannot give grace life money. Ever thought of that? It's impossible for God to give grace life money. But God can work in the hearts of people so that the people can give money into Grace Life's mission. And then we say, thank God, hallelujah, amen. And we thank you for your generosity because you listened and you have a soft heart. So God really is more interested in the condition of your heart than your performance. He just said there that sacrifices and offerings I don't want. So you sacrificing your way to heaven, like, well done, but God does not delight in that. I don't know who does because I I wouldn't. 
Jesus said, if you fast, don't, don't let people know that you're fasting. Don't, don't look like it. But then he's not delighting in it, so who is? Ecclesiastes 3.11. I hope you're understanding the Old Testament. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted what? Eternity. <coughs> in their hearts. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Because it speaks to so many things. Who wrote this? Who's Solomon? Don't say the wisest man who ever lived. Please don't. The wisest man who ever lived without the Spirit. (laughs) Without being born again. If you are born again, you have more wisdom or access to more wisdom than Solomon ever did. And you can see it. It's evident in the stupidity he, he does in his life. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just saying we're not worshipping Solomon's wisdom. We're worshipping Christ. When we write, read the writings of Solomon, we shouldn't look for wisdom. We should look for eternal wisdom. Because here he says he doesn't know the gospel. Or he doesn't understand the gospel. That's what he's saying. He says he has put eternity in their hearts. He says there's something that my heart is longing for that all the riches, all the travel, all the women in the world is not, it's, it's not fulfilling that need. It's not filling that gap. It's not, it's not giving... Um, the punch to that hunger of eternity in our hearts. Except that no one... So he says it's hopeless because no one can find out what God is doing from when? From the beginning to the end. Anyone see this? Who was in the beginning? The Word. Who is the Word? God. What did God do? He became one of us. We call that Jesus. You know what Jesus means? Jehovah, our Savior. It's not Son of God. It's God who saves. We say Jesus, what would Hebrew say, uh, people in the Hebrew Israelites say? Yeshua. Yeshua. Who was Moses' apprentice? Yeshua. So when we read Joshua, there's an exodus. What happens in the exodus? They go from captivity to freedom. Where, do that, where does that happen? Through the Jordan. Not my son, the river. Okay, where does Jesus get baptized? In the, in, the, in the river Jordan. Some of the translation says in the exact place where Yeshua took the Israelites into the promised land. So what was prophesied? Not baptism. Salvation. And Jesus then says, hey... What Yeshua did in the natural, I'm not going to make possible in the spiritual. And just to prove it, he goes into the Jordan River and he says, John, you better baptize me to bring all things to fulfillment. So what does fulfillment mean? If you have, um, I'm close to, to paying off my car. I'm looking forward to that. Because what's going to happen is, my contract with West Bank is going to be fulfilled. So they can no longer come to me and say, hey sir, you need to pay X amount next month, because it's been fulfilled. So will it be clever of me to keep on paying, just because I don't want to be in the wrong? So why are you holding on to Old Testament shadows? 
if Jesus said this is to fulfill what was prophesied. The Israelites coming through the Jordan, now I'm coming in the Jordan, but it's really about what's happening in the Spirit. And therefore we know that Jesus actually quotes from the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is not as angry and as scary as you think. But we have now the New Testament that unveils to us what even the writer here, Solomon, did not know. Because he says, who can know the end from the beginning? You know what? There is one. Do you think Christ knows himself? Then he knows the end from the beginning. Because he said in Revelation, I am the beginning and I am the end. Who can know the end from the beginning? There's nothing that changes from the beginning to the end. It's always been Christ. God that saves. The Israelites says, no, 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 that's too good to be true. We will perform. God says, but that's not Yeshua. That's not who I am. I am that I am. I'm not going to change who I am. I'm not going to dance to your uh, needs. But if you want to be busy with your chaduntikis, then be busy with your chaduntikis. But that's not going to change what I promised to Abraham. And what I promised to Abraham is what I actually promised to Adam, but Adam didn't like it or didn't take it. He didn't believe it. So where do you start if you want to teach on finding Jesus in Genesis? That was my introduction, by the way. Genesis 1.1, isn't that a good start? So the title of my message this morning is In the Beginning. <laughs> okay? But I've hopefully set you up now that when you come to what the children Bible has corrupted us in a big way, is, is, is not, it's, it's, let's say not corrupted maybe in a bad sense. Like Scott Berger said last night, the Springboks had absolutely no right to win that game. Okay, so when we read a children's Bible, we feel we have absolutely no right to the presence of God. We have absolutely no right to the, the, the purposes or the forgiveness. But it says in the beginning what happened. God created the heavens and the earth. Okay? Who is the beginning? The Word. And the Word is God. So in God, God created. When? In the beginning. But God is eternal. So when He created the beginning, some of us would say you already had the end in mind, but it, it's outside of time. So it's not really that. Now we're waiting to go to home, to be with the Lord. Anyone waiting to go be with the Lord? You are tabernacling with Him. So when we say, come Lord Jesus, like Sean said, we said, yes, we're ready. Yes, we're expectant. Yes, we're purposeful. Yes, we're busy with your work. Like more of you. Come Lord Jesus, come out of me. Come manifest. And He's not going to come... He's going to come from the midst of us, from among us. And we're expecting for that, because what a glorious day that will be. Amen? So, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He him. Male and female created He them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So, what did Adam do in the garden? He was expecting, come Lord Jesus, come God, come visit. And God came in the cool of the day and walked with him. 
didn't, isn't that? Then they sinned. And they stopped asking, come God, come, come Lord Jesus, come God. Did that stop God from coming? No. Why? Because God had a purpose for creation. And that was to be with us. He made us in His image and likeness. He made His home. So the first uh, five days, He makes our home. He makes a home for His home. And then on day six, He makes His home. I know that's quick, but it's... Should I repeat that? The first five days, God makes a home for His home. On day six, He makes His home. So you and I are the home of God. He tabernacles with us, but now we live in what we call creation. So in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, He had day six in mind already. That was the plan. So in the beginning, He already knew the end of creation. Because He is the beginning and He is the end. The good news about this is wherever you are in life, if God started your life, God is going to be there until the end of your life. So just like the Boca last night, you need to hold on tight <laughs> until the end. Because things just might change. Amen? Because God is the beginning and He is the end. And then He is everything in between. I'm not saying He's causing everything. I'm not saying He's doing everything. I'm not saying we just said that Israel wanted the sacrificial system, which wasn't God's will, and He gave it to them. Psalm 78, if you continue, it says that they limited the Holy One of Israel. So God plays according to our rules. That's not blasphemy. That should excite you because the prophet, the spirit of the prophet is subject to God. No, it's subject to the prophet. So we set the rules of engagement. And that's why God tabernacled with Moses, even amongst the sacrificial system. So Colossians 1.15, now we're going to the new, revealing the old. It says, who is the image of the invisible God? So who was made, when's the first time we see the word image? Genesis 1. It says, he made man in his image. And that's that's, that's humanity. He made humans. Because he said he made them male and female. Okay, so it's not the, what's going on in the world right now. The confusion. It is just, God made man in his image. Now it says Christ, who is the image. So Christ came to show us what God intended in Genesis 1. Nothing new under the sun. Just a lack of people saying, yes, Lord. And going all out. Because in what was we, we were made in what? His image. Did we live up to our potential? No. Did Christ live up to the potential that God had in mind? Yes. So now He becomes the visible manifestation of what God intended, not in the New Testament, no, in Genesis 1. So there's nothing new under the sun. You know what, if this teaching is so important because it will help you to trust God. Because God is not angry one day and happy the next. 
God is not separate that He looks at you, sees your sins, and then you have this picture of Jesus showing up and says, But the blood! Remember the blood! I'll intercede for the blood! Remember my suffering, Father! No, the Word became flesh, took on flesh, and dwelt among us to show us what God intended in the beginning. Everything else was a waste of time. You don't believe me? Carlo is frowning. He's like, not there yet. <laughs> if Adam and Eve ate from the tree of life, they would have never been chased out of the garden. They weren't chased out, sent out. A restoration would not have been required. And they would have lived in the fullness of the image of what God intended. Now we have all of this up to, sorry, that's Romans, up to Revelation. That now says there is now full access to the tree of life. It's been restored. Because there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new from beginning to end. Who can understand it? Jesus. So what they could not understand because it was given to them in parables and dark sayings, we now have an unveiled face if we turn to Christ and now we read Genesis and we don't just see creation. I see creation in Genesis. I'm not an evolutionist. I see creation there. But the purpose of the book of creation is not to tell you about creation. The purpose of the book of Genesis is to tell you about Christ. And that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. Since the beginning until the end. Who can know the end and the beginning? Those who believe in Christ receive the Spirit and live forever with, with God. I said I wanted to condense the Bible for you a little bit. When you start to see this, it, it's, it's all over. Like, you, like, it's all over. I think I have eight sermons already. For this series. I'm not saying I'm going to preach all of them. But it's just all over. Just from the book of Genesis. It's one of the most exciting books. Because everything starts at the start. Listen to this. Verse 16. We're reading where? Colossians 1. Good news, isn't it? For by Him we were all things created. That are in heaven and are in the earth. Visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. Just echoing what I said. Verse 17. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. So He was the first, and now we're in Him, because by Him is all things. 18 says, And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. This is, this is so good. You have to get this. Ruan has got it. Who's the beginning? The church. He is the head of the body, the church. In my King James, it makes a double print. Which means now I'm going to explain to you what the church is. You say, ah, oh, that's pushing it. But aren't you the body of who? Christ, who is God, who was in the beginning. 
So if you're not in church, not talking about the service or the building, because, I mean, you'll get more holy places than this, I'm sure. But when you're in Christ, you are in the beginning. So where is your past? Everything that you've done wrong, where can we find it? We can't. Because did God do anything wrong since the beginning? But you are then in Him. So your past is now His past. And my Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love keeps no record of wrong. So why do people write things down? Because they don't want to forget it. God is not pleased by sacrifice and offering. Why? Because that's a remembrance of sin. Hebrews 10 says that those who made the offerings, the priests, did it as a daily remembrance of sin. So they were busy with butchery. They had a nice abattoir going. And God wasn't really interested. I'm just quoting the Bible. I'm so glad there's no rocks, just stones. Oh, no stones, just sand. <laughs> Anyone with me? This is so freeing. Anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. The verse just before that is the one that's not so famous. It says... Though we once considered Christ according to the flesh, yet now do we consider Him thus no more. Because what we could not understand came in the flesh so that we could understand as carnal people who God is. But now He came down to where we were so that He could lift us up to where He is. And now we no longer need to understand who we were because we are now as He is. Thus we no longer look at the carnal us because we don't look at the carnal Him. So when He says, I made you in the image and likeness, He's not talking about this. He's talking about a spiritual being that exists for eternity. And that's been the plan from the beginning that's the plan today, and that will be the plan in the end. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is not schizophrenic. Because James says to us that, Behold, God is good, and with Him is no shadow of turning. God doesn't have a good side of the bed and a bad side of the bed. God doesn't have a friendly side and a not-so-friendly side. We do. Our carnality. When we're tired, we let people know we're tired. Or they can tell. <laughs> when we're upset, when we're stressed, we know. But it's not your spirit. He is the head of the body. The church is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. That in all things, he might have the preeminence. He's writing here and he's actually using sort of poetic license. He's saying like he's talking about Christ, but he's also talking about the church. Because the church is the body of Christ. And we, in our minds, still split it. Like, you're just a little piece of this big Christmas tree that we call Christianity. And you're just an apple key, or a static key, or an ingle key. Or, and He is the head. He is the Bethlehem star. No, He is all of it. And you're in Him. And it's not a dead tree. It's a growing tree that bears fruit. Amen?
the word says you are one bread. One bread. Who is the living bread? Jesus said in John 6, I'm the bread. Now he says, you are the bread. So if he's the bread and you the bread, who's the bread? <laughs> who's always been the bread? You know what manna is? This is Exodus. Okay, sorry, I'm, I'm just deviating one book, so will you forgive me? I want to show you Jesus in Exodus. So the Israelites want something. They want what? They want food. We read Exodus and we're very judgmental. And then we look at our own lives and like, well, maybe. If you're sitting on this side, you're wishing for aircon, I'm sure. Where's that cloud? When you were here in uh, August, you wished for the cloud of fire because it was, we had to struggle to keep the place hot. And, and, and we are carnal, like in that sense. But we're invited to be more. Okay, so what do they want? They want bread. God gives them bread. And it says it's the, the food of angels. It's mysterious. The word manna means what is this? That's the word. It, what is this? Like it's bread from heaven, but what is this? It's mysterious. Should be seeing it then. Who's the mystery revealed? The bread from heaven. So the manna is not to feed them. The manna is to preach the gospel. To saying, hey, there's a bread from heaven that's going to feed you. It's spiritual food. Jesus then rocks up in John 6 and he says, Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And people are offended, man, big time. And you know what Jesus does? He doesn't say, Nia, 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 jy verkeerd verstaan. No, no, he doubles down. <laughs> Tell his disciples, you also want to go? Peter has the best answer. He says, Lord, where will we go? Not you have the best sacraments or ceremonies or traditions. No, you have the words that give life. But you know what? They're not satisfied with the bread from heaven. Just like people think Jesus is not enough. So they want to add carnality. They want to add, you know, carna, chili con carne? What does it mean? Chili meat. Carnal, carnality. So they say the bread from heaven is not enough. We want meat. It's the very thing they said we want a king, we want a sacrificial system. We want something we can see. Something for the flesh. And again, God does not disappoint. And He gives them exactly what they ask for. And in their greed, in their gluttony, many of them literally eat themselves to death. You can go read the story. God didn't kill them. They did. Because the bread from heaven wasn't enough. That is religion. When Jesus is not enough, you want to add something in the carnal. You want to add something meaty. You want to add sacrifice, kings, traditions, buildings. Jesus never says, I am the quartals. He says, I'm the bread. I'm asking you this morning, is the bread enough for you? 
2 Corinthians 5.16 says, We do not consider the carnal. We don't need the meat. Because we've got the manna. We've got the supernatural. And that never changes from the end to the beginning. And everything in between. If I confused you this morning, I apologize. But please take this home. That God is going to be with you from the end till the beginning. And you think I said that wrong, but it doesn't really matter because it's versa visa. <laughs> Seeing if you're, some of you are still caffeinated. If someone says that, you want to help them, but you, don't, you can't really because it doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> if it's the beginning or the end or the end or the beginning, it's everything is in Him. He is eternal. He was in the beginning and He will be in the end. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He is tabernacling with you. We have a, a, a mindset of the future is going to be better, but we're not living in the now. The mystery has been revealed. The manna has manifested. Christ in you. The hope of glory. And the last comment I have to make. The hope of glory is not something to come. The hope of glory is a statement of what the Israelites were expecting. If you told a Hebrew Jew the hope of glory, they said Christ. So now when Christ has come, we are not hoping for what is to come. We are celebrating what has come. Maybe more on that next week because that changes so, so many things in your life. You can find more of our free teachings on our website www.gracelife.ca And if you're ever in the Stellenbosch area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website www.gracelife.ca